star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. I'm your other host, Susan Fox. And with us is... The Boy Wonder! My little six-year-old self is just <laughs> jumping up and down. It's making squealy noises. Welcome to the show, Bert Ward. We're very glad Hello, to have citizens. you with us. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is an awesome thing. I mean, uh, what Susan said is, is very much the experience I had, too. I was seven years old. I saw you and uh, uh, Adam West on the television, and uh, and the whole world was transfixed. You were the most popular thing on the air at the time. Absolutely, uh, it was pretty uh, amazing. You know, we uh, we're we're in four hundred countries. Um, number one, number one, and number two in the United States. Our first opening night on January 12th of 1966, which was 50 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, we had a 55 share, uh, meaning that of all the televisions on in North America, 55% were watching Batman, and all the other stations shared the other 45%. Yes, I remember seeing uh, Adam West in that iconic suit on the cover of Time magazine. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What an impression that made on on, uh, on a young lad. Uh and and then seeing my heroes on on the screen was just, and I'm sure you've had this conversation hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times this week. Well, well, I don't know, but I, well, let me just say this: in 50 years of of having done Batman, uh, I have actually gone and made more than um, 7,500 appearances and signed more than eight and a half million autographs. That's a lot of autographs. I mean, you must your hand must do it in your sleep without your bidding at this point. Yeah, I mean, you talk about hand cramps. Let me tell you, <laughs> I, I, entire body cramps from all of that at work. Mm. Did you, does it climb up your arm into your shoulder at the by the end of the day? Well, I tell people I'm suffering uh, from a swollen ego and a severe pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we can recommend a good massage therapist in your area, I'm sure. Uh, so, uh, so many questions. So you you did you you haven't played Robin in a while, unless. Uh... Oh yes, I have. Besides having done seven thousand 
500 personal appearances in the last 50 years playing Robin mm. uh, and signing eight and a half million autographs. Uh, I have had the pleasure of working with Adam on a feature called Back to the Bat Cave based on uh, my book, Boy Wonder My Life in Tights, and based on Adam's book. Uh, that came out on CBS Sunday uh, Movie of the Week, Sunday Night Movie of the Week. Uh-huh. And then also, um, I was on uh, The Simpsons and playing a Robin and uh, Future Rama and uh, SpongeBob. And more recently, uh, on a, a full feature length, um, Robo, uh, Robot Chicken. Robot Chicken, uh, which was uh, pretty wild and crazy. So, and now the most important one of all is a major release feature film, full length feature from Warner Brothers, uh, all animated, that takes the best of everything I did as Robin, you know, when we were making the series Uh and combine it with the edgier, you know, big production stuff of the feature films where now you combine the two and the sum is bigger than the parts. This so is this Batman is Return of the Cape Crusaders. And that's Warner Brothers Home Video, October 11th. Correct. And that's a DVD and digital download and November 1st Blu-ray. But this is not what you think it is. It's not your typical Batman. This is going to turn the whole Batman concept upside down and the events and things you're going to see are are not what you're expecting. And in fact, I was so shocked by the script uh, when I first read it uh, that uh, I really wasn't sure that they were pulling my leg or not because I, I couldn't believe that Batman and Robin would be doing the things that they have us doing. Well, and that was the... That was, I don't know if that's good or bad or if it's scary or funny. Uh, the, the whole show was, you know, it was all done tongue-in-cheek, and the kids didn't know. You know, they didn't care. Right. But well, I remember... Kids, it was hero worship. Oh, sure. For the adults of the nostalgia of the comic book, for the teenagers and the college kids, it was the double meanings and uh, double entendres, insinuations, and all the kind of the stuff that we used to sneak past the censors when we were able to. And uh, pretty people This new in movie, tights. it's everything that you're not expecting. Yeah, it's... Uh, I remember watching the original series... Uh, and uh, there was this scene where Alfred come, is in the Batcave and, and uh, he's got one of those revelation moments and he's explaining it to Adam West, who was, you know, dressed as Batman. And uh, he s- says something like, excuse me, sir, but I think I know what's going on. And Adam West turns to the camera and with this cheesy smirk on his face, he says, what's it all about? Alfred. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Which is a takeoff on the movie, What's It All About? About Alfie, Alfie. of course, of course. Which was very, you know, that was topical at the time. Well, the song was, yeah. But it's it's like a a lot of uh, kids' television today plays to uh, both the adults and the kids in the room on two different levels. And the original series was very much like that. If you're going to have to watch it 10... 10, 20, 100 times in a row. Might as well keep the parents amused. Yeah, yeah. well, you're, it's going to be very entertaining because, again, it's not what you're expecting. 
and the characters do things that you're not expecting and all of it together is going to keep people on the edge of their seats because they're going to be worried. It's it looks fantastic. I mean, it's so stylish. Well, the, the new film uh, is so the, stylish. We saw we ran the the trailer on the front page of uh, of the Krypton Radio website about uh, three weeks ago, actually. Uh-huh. And um, it it looks so much. It looks like so much fun. And, and so you were working with Julie Newmar as well, yes, of course, and Adam. And uh, and they really, uh, you know, Warner Brothers has just gone all out to make this a really super production. They uh, they they really have, and uh, I think it's I think it's going to do incredibly well because there's already the tremendous following that we have, and then to modernize what we have had uh, and what we've done in the past, it, it just we were ahead of our time when we made Batman the first time, and this animated feature is actually ahead of its time it's really cool and it's really current and it's really spicy and uh it's something there's going to be something for everybody i'm looking forward to seeing what you're talking about uh, about the spicy part because that wasn't really part of the original No, but phenomenon. it's become part of the the animated series of uh, Batman and the other DC characters have just been ten times better than they needed to be and about a hundred times better than their, their live-action pictures, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but, and this is really good. This is really good. I, I, I was very surprised. This was a... It was a big surprise, and I'm I'm looking forward. I haven't even seen it myself. I know what the script is, but I can hardly wait to see what they've done with it because I I know where it goes, and it is wild and crazy. That sounds so much. It sounds like so much fun. I'm personally looking, really looking forward to seeing it. There's no other questions we can probably that he can probably answer for us because I'm going. Well, what others you know celebrities snuck in on this one because there was always somebody famous playing a villain in the original series. Right, right. But you know, in reality, because I did my part and and Adam and Julie, we don't know who the other celebrities are. Mm, good point. So it's a good see. <laughs> This way, they don't have to worry that we're going to you know, accidentally say something we shouldn't to, you know, <laughs> before it comes out. So they've kept us in the dark. We know what the script is, and we see, you know, what all mm-hmm. incredible action it is, and and the dialogue that is just out of this world, literally. That, uh, but we don't know who the other actors are, and I'm sure they're going to be great. Well, and that's how that's how uh, animated films are done now. You go in, you record your lines, and if you're lucky, you might see one or two of the other people that uh, that you're working with, especially if you're doing scenes uh, scenes directly with them. But you might not see anybody else, you know, for that's like right. six and months. I, and I, I, uh, I think that's fine because uh, when I went in, I had 177 pages of dialogue. <laughs> I mean, that is a lot of dialogue. And there is just nonstop action. It, it's going to be great. I'm, I, I'm going to be one of the first to download it myself. 177 pages of dialogue just for you? Or, or yes. was that the whole script? Well, it's was the, the whole script. And, and, you know, intermixed with Adam uh-huh. and, uh, you know, um, uh, well, still, and Julie and Catwoman. I don't want to go. Uh-huh. A, a feature script uh, for a motion picture is only 135, 140. 
Right. This is, but yeah, but it's not a page. A lot of... Yeah, but the um, animation scripts are different looking. There's not as much. Uh, uh... Well, they also blow up the type. Yeah. make it bigger so that you can read it better. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. I but I yeah. understand that it's uh, it's full length 93, at least when it was, uh, when they, they told me originally that it was going to be 93 minutes uh, long, but you know, it, it could be extended, but that's already a full length feature. Yeah, yes, it, it is. sure is. Wow. Boy, I couldn't find a running time to save my life when I was researching this. <laughs> so I'm glad you know. <laughs> No, but but that may not be correct because that's what I was told before uh-huh. I I did my stuff and then you know honestly the the way it works is that you have the script and you do the dialogue they match the dialogue to the action mm-hmm. but a lot of times something you know spontaneous comes up in the course of, of of doing the animation that then we had to go back in and do more dialogue uh, you know to uh, to supplement mm-hmm. the the animation that really turned out great from what I'm hearing. I see. So you got, uh, you had to come in and do, um, uh, pickups quite a bit. And then not only pickups, but also, um, you know, ADR where we actually watch some of the stuff and, and have to then match the voice to the action, which is normally not the way you do it. But when you have certain kinds of action, you, you, in order to make it look precise and correct mm-hmm. you have to do it that way that's interesting i wouldn't have expected that um, because usually i mean you you're as a voice actor you're a guy in a booth <laughs> and, and you're frequently by yourself in a booth just reading lines and taking direction uh, because the director knows how the scene goes and you have no idea because you can't see anything uh you can't see any of the elements that are in the scene or hear what your other actor did or, you know, whoever might be right. in the scene with you or any of that. You have to develop an imagination. When you have major movies, they will sometimes do this ADR where the actor comes in and they play picture back. Mm-hmm. And you've got to do it just to the exact right timing. You could do it ten times and still not get it right. You've got to get it right on so that the mouth moves exactly with the words. And uh, and that just shows you what kind of an effort that Warner Brothers has gone to to make a really, really high class product. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. that's that's normally reserved for major features. And uh, so I, I did that. And uh, one of the things that came out of it, I got a really nice compliment from the executive producer. Uh, and in fact, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little bit on the inside stuff. Uh, when I went there to record. They probably had six or eight people there. I mean, the the writers, the director, mm-hmm. the the person that actually does the way. I mean, they have one guy there. His name is Wes. He's like a a fine artist. I mean, in other words, he'll say, "Well, give me five percent more of this, and do this, and do that." I mean, just they're just geniuses. These people. I mean, they do it all the time. That's their business. But what I was really complimented by is the fact that everyone knew what the script was and what I was going to say, right? I mean, they all knew it exactly. They were prepared for it. And yet when I did my lines, these people are laughing and roaring. And, and I'm saying to myself, did I do something embarrassing? <laughs> Is my zipper open? I mean, what's going on here? Then why are they laughing so much? And afterwards, the executive producer came out and said to me, you know, Bert, he says, I got to tell you something. You sound exactly like you sounded 50 years ago. 
it's almost scary. Yes. Yes. That is that is one of the things we noticed watching the trailer uh, is that you do sound just identical. Um, your 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 voice has not uh, softened or or engraveled with age at all. No. Well, I, it's the formaldehyde I take. I guess. Okay. <laughs> what other uh, what other things that you've done uh, theatrically? Uh, I've or, done forty movies for television. Movies. Um, various roles, playing uh-huh. anywhere from a demon to the Pope, <laughs> which oh, is a pretty good range. That uh, yes, it is. <laughs> Uh, and uh, I've had a tremendous time doing it. I, I've had so much fun. And then going out and people on these appearances, the, all of that. He's dropping out again. Oh, boy. Signal. Dropping out? Yeah, we're experiencing signal loss again. Well, you want me to answer, re-answer the question? If you could, please. Um... Well, in addition to the Batman roles I've done, as or as Robin, mm-hmm. uh, I've done 40 movies for television and uh, stage plays and uh, uh, eight, what is it, 7,500 personal appearances, <laughs> yes. eight and a half million autographs. So I, I'm I'm very, very busy person. I work seven days a week. I, I, I don't can't even remember having a vacation. Do you enjoy working the uh, working on the stage as contrasted to in front of a camera? I love stage. I love it. Uh, and um, uh, the, what's so wonderful about stage is that you really can play to your audience. You can respond to your audience. It's a thrill. You're, there's no thirty second takes. You know uh, where you you work for 30, 30, 30 seconds. Uh, in film and wait for 45 minutes while they light the next scene. Uh, it's and, and you know you, then you have all these close-ups and over the shoulders and mm-hmm. close-ups of the other actors and you're you're doing your dialogue like you know dozen times or so at least. Whereas with stage, you're out there and you got three hours of a play and uh, there's nobody to rescue you if you screw up i mean you know <laughs> it's and it's it, it but it's it, it's something that's electric because your audience is there and you can feel them and you can hear them and they can hear you and they it's a it's a great connection i love theater i absolutely love it how did you uh, how did you get the the role as robin in the first place well that's a little bit of an interesting story i was uh I was studying acting professionally. I had not actually done any work professionally. And in fact, I hadn't even been in a high school play, which everybody seems to do, but not me. And But I was studying and I wanted very much to do it. And my father was a top real estate broker in Beverly Hills. And I was uh, sitting on houses, what they call it, where I had my license when I was 18 to be able to sell real estate. And in the course of a year, or two years, I had sold a couple of houses, and one of them was to this uh, producer, Saul David, who produced uh-huh. Von Ryan's Express, Skullduggery, mm-hmm. and Flint fo- uh, pictures. And he was nice enough to send me to an agent, 
uh, I, I did a uh, I did a scene for him, and he thought it was good, and he sent me to an agent. The agent was not very encouraging. First thing the agent said is, I don't need another actor. I can't get work for the actors I've got. The only reason I'm taking you is because Saul David asked me to, and don't expect to work for a year, and if you do, you'll probably get one sentence. So um, that wasn't too encouraging. And then I got a phone call from them. They didn't even seem to care. They just said, oh, there's something going on over at 20th Century Fox. Go over on such and such a time and ask for the casting director in such and such a building. So I did. And I went there and I met this casting director. And he said to me, would you like to meet the executive producer? And I said, (laughs) sure. I figured everybody got to meet the executive producer, which later on I found out wasn't true. But anyway, (laughs) I went in to see the executive producer. And remember, I had never Mm -hmm. even tried out for anything, much less done anything. So I wasn't burned or damaged or shy. I came right in. I said, hello, Mr. Dozier, and shook his hand firmly and looked him straight in the eye which caught him off guard. I think he was looking for the normally damaged defensive actors. Mm-hmm. I came right in like a like charging bull, and he looked at me and said, you're kind of big. I said, well, I promise you, sir, I won't grow anymore. He <laughs> laughed. He thought that was funny. And, uh, uh-huh. you know, it, 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 actually, he did an interview later on, which is on the Internet, in which uh, he describes – exactly how I described it you know where he describes meeting me and how I shook his hand and looked him right in the eye and he said you know uh I like this and he asked me would you like to do a screen test I said of course you know I figured everybody gets the screen test right not true (laughs) and and, but I still had no idea what the role was Uh it was never a discussion of what the role was so I went to do a screen test that's where I met Adam West and Adam and I screen tested together as Bruce and Dick. There was nothing that we were given these, what they call sides, which are really Mm -hmm. three or four pages, type pages. And they'll have like Dick and dialogue and which was my character. As I found out later, Dick Grayson, but it didn't say Dick Grayson, just said Mm -hmm. Dick and Bruce. And, you know, which was of course, Bruce Wayne. uh, I, I later found out and we just had regular dialogue. There was nothing that you would have known that it was cartoon or comic book or anything. So I, after doing the scene, I said, well, thank you very much. And they said, oh, no, no, wait a minute. We're not finished. We're not finished. You need to go over to this dressing room and get changed. We've got two wardrobe men there to help you. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm, thank you, but I'm perfectly capable of changing myself. They said, oh, no, no, no. You just go over there. You'll see. You'll see. So I go over there, and I go in this dressing little dressing trailer, and uh, mm-hmm. on this kind of a kind of a couch bed type thing, there was these leotards and this cape and and t shirt and trunks and did you recognize did you recognize what it was when you saw it? I had no idea what it was, but all I can tell you is when when I got that thing on, I had never been so uncomfortable in my entire life. <laughs> you know, I that's mean, what I'd heard. That's what I'd heard. Th- it's like the, the it was not built for tights. Let me just tell you, that. <laughs> it's not built for tights. I used to call them my python pants because they nearly strangled me to death. And uh, and the everything that tights were itchy and thick and heavy, and the cape was double thick bridal satin and pull my neck straight back, and the vest 
was like all wool that penetrated through my T-shirt and was itchy and the and the, the mask irritated my eyelashes. Oh, my God, I was a complete wreck. And, and so you- I, I hobbled, and that's the correct word. I either wobbled or hobbled out of that dressing room over to the set, and there I see Adam dressed up in this blue cape and cowl, and I said, is this some kind of Shakespearean piece? And then I saw, and, and before he could answer, they said, okay, we got to shoot this now. And, you know, and I'm saying, what am I doing? What is this? <laughs> and I had no idea what it was because, you see, uh-huh. when I grew up, there was no Batman comic book. There was Superman and Superboy, but uh-huh. not Batman. And uh, it's funny how things turn out to be because as a kid, I was kind of a loner. And I used to come home and spend hours outside taking my ball and just kicking Mm -hmm. it against the wall. And I used to dream of being a super boy. And in fact, when I was a little kid, um, my mother has photographs of me at three years of age driving around on this little tricycle with a cape or bath towel, actually, you know, clothes pinned around my neck at three years of age. Apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. (laughs) That's awesome. And so anyway, long story short, six weeks go by. I get phone calls from the studio asking my shoe size or my head size or my, Mm -hmm. my shirt size and this, and I'm answering these questions. I having no idea why. And then I get a phone call from these agents that originally couldn't care less, you know, about me. And they said, you need to come in and, and sign agreements. So I figured, oh, wow, they're going to sign me to the agency because they hadn't signed me before. Mm-hmm. So I went in and I sat down and, and I looked over this thing and it said 20th Century Fox. They said, wait a minute, that's not the name of your agency. And they said, oh, no, no, these are studio contracts. I said, what do you mean? Well, said they said, didn't the studio tell you that you had the part? I said, no. And I said, you didn't tell me either. And it turned out six weeks that I had the part and didn't know about it while I was rotting, waiting to, to hear whether I got the part or not. Oh, my goodness. He's probably wow. selling houses. Yeah, and, and, and listen, there are 1,100 people tried out for this part. And I, I, I'll tell you something that I think was, was very interesting. Uh, when, I, when I saw the executive producer again, he came over and said, hello there, young man. And I said, hello, Mr. Dozier. And he said, would you like to know why we selected you to play the part of Robin? I said, yes, sir. I'd like to know. He said, forgetting television, forgetting acting, we think if there really was a Robin, a boy wonder, really, in real life, that you personally, Bert, would be that person. So we want you not to, quote, act. We want you to be yourself and be enthusiastic. And that's what I did for 120 episodes. <laughs> Nobody ever told me to take my fist and hit it my, you know, into my, the palm of my hand or to jump over the, the car going in or out of the Batmobile. All of these things I did without any restriction, without any direction, they basically let me do whatever I want. So when people would meet me, um, you know, they they say, "Oh, well, that's really cool. Where'd you get the idea to do that?" And I said, "You mean what? You mean jumping over the car? I just thought it'd be quicker to get out. I was ready to go fight." And, and you know, all of these things. 
and and even to this day, people they meet me, they say, "Oh, wow, you sound like yourself." Doesn't everybody sound like themselves? I sound like myself. You do. <laughs> so that's sort of the that's the backstory. And Batman was a very, very interesting show to make. It was not only a lot of fun, but it was very dangerous. There's a lot of explosions, mm. third degree burns, Yeet. trips to the emergency ward of the hospital, uh, oh which I'd never goodness. even been to an emergency hospital because of boards breaking my nose. And oh man, I'll tell you, I wasn't sure I was going to survive the first episode. Oh my gosh. That was just the first week. <laughs> that was the first week. But, but, but the producers were very smart. After a while, when they saw how dangerous the show was, they uh, they were very smart. They took out a very large life insurance policy for me. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. And uh, I'll tell you, by the last two episodes, I could swear they were trying to collect on that policy. <laughs> Put you in the shark tank with real sharks. Oh well, no. That worse than that. How about hung over three live Bengal tigers, wild Bengal tigers that can jump fifteen to twenty feet. I'm only ten feet above them, okay. And because they were circling and kind of looking and not doing anything other than growling and snarling at me, and and, and by the way, while I'm on this plank over these three Bengal tigers, the camera crew are in a steel-protected cage 10 feet above my head, right, uh-huh. angling over these Bengal tigers. And they, the director says to the, to the wild animal handlers, can't you make them do something more? So what did they do? They hung meat over my head. No, no. These tigers were jumping up at my trying to get the meat, and I'm dodging them, trying to keep from getting clawed in the face. And the director said, great bird afterwards. That's so realistic looking. Well, of course it was realistic looking. I nearly got killed by them. <laughs> Yikes! That's, that's, wow. I had no idea that it was actually that dangerous. The, uh, the, they put you through hell. That was a- I think that was the, the minor part of it. Let me tell you, there, there was so many things, but there was also the fun things. You know, riding in that Batmobile was fun. Climbing the walls. I love the fight scenes because I'm a black belt in karate. I was also a um, piece of trivia. I lived in the same condominium complex as Bruce Lee, and I knew Bruce, and I actually sparred with him, you know, which is a form of practice fighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, when, when his show, that he became Cato in mm-hmm. the Green Hornet, was the same executive producer, and uh, a piece of trivia is that Bruce Lee's first filmed fight scene of his career was fighting me ah, wow who knew that's <laughs> you know i'm just sort of sitting here fanboying you know I, I just i we had all these questions and you're coming up with the answers to the questions before we can even ask them and uh it's just huh. <laughs> I'm so... well, we may have to move from cats to dogs pretty soon because uh we do want to make sure we we include some talk about the gentle Absolutely. giants well, you listen, have. you know, I like to say this. I like to say that I was the caped crusader, and now I am the canine crusader. You're here. Yeah. That works. 
So and, tell us uh, about tell us about the dog a quick wrestling. idea for the last 22 years of my life my wife and I as a full charity we operate Gentle Giants Rescue and Adoptions it's a 501c3 IRS mm-hmm. licensed charity that uh, we've rescued um, dogs uh, primarily giant breed dogs but some smaller breeds and we've rescued more than 15,500 dogs in the last 22 years, everyone would have been put to death. Everyone we paid for their food, their shelter, complete medical care, and found them a safe, loving home. At all times during the last 22 years, I've had no less than 45 to 50 dogs living in my home with my wife and I, together in a communal nurturing environment. And you have created a dog food that well, yes, let me tell you, if you go, think of it this way. If you go to the trouble to save animals' lives like we do, and you end up spending four or five nights a week in animal clinics because dogs are coming in in every god-awful con- condition you can imagine, and, and in some cases you're fighting to save their lives. If you go to that much trouble, as we've done, you want them to live as long as possible. And in the, we created a special feeding and care program. We feed and care for dogs differently than other people do. And, and your listeners can read about it on our website at gentlegiantsrescue.com. And we also created a dog food that is unlike any other dog food in the world. And we have dogs living as long as 27 years, including giant breeds that normally live only six to seven years. We have them living into their mid to late 20s. And no one else that I know of has done this. Our food is different. We take no salary from this. This is There's not, nothing we take from this at all. And we put it out, and instead of putting it in pet stores that want to sell our 33-pound bag of Gentle Giants for $85 to $95, we put it in Walmart and grocery stores here in Southern California, Ralph's and Stater Brothers and Gelson's, and it sells for $33 for a 33-pound bag. Wow. It's all about charity. It's all about animals living longer. And right now, uh, here in my home, I have 24 dogs between the ages of 13 to almost 26 years of age. And because these are primarily giants that normally live only six, seven, maybe eight years, every one of these 24 has already lived more than twice their normal lifespan. And my my dog, Tara, Russian wolfhound, who will be 26 years of age in January, has lived more than triple her normal lifespan. That's got to be some kind of a record. Are you in the Guinness Book? Well, I, I think we're going to be. I. It was interesting. Recently, Inside Edition came out about a month ago and filmed our dogs. Uh, by the time it got down to the, you know, edited down to two minutes, they focused on our oldest dog. And the title of the uh, of the of the TV featurette was "Could This Dog Be the li- Oldest Living Pooch in the World?" And uh, and uh, you know they showed her and running around and happy and it's just uh, you know and they talked about our food and how we're able to have dogs live so incredibly long lives and it's not just living. 
living longer, the living condition is so much better. I mean, you you talk to most people, if they have a dog that's eight or nine years of age, or, or a smaller one that could maybe live a few years longer, they'll tell you that their dog is having trouble getting up, having trouble walking, things like that. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about not only living up to 27 years, but living a condition of running around like puppies, jumping in the air, doing everything they did when they were puppies and when they're in their 20s. And no one else has been able to do this. That's astonishing. So I, what it, do you attribute this? Attribute to the fact that we designed a food not to be profitable, but designed a food to make the dogs live longer. We designed our food to, for us to sell it at basically our cost, which is the cost of the food, the cost of the bag that the food goes in, and the cost of the shipping to the stores. And one thing that we do that I don't believe any other dog food company does, because all of them have these warehouses with food that's been in warehouses for God only knows how many months, we make every single order fresh to order. In other words, we don't have one bag of dog food sitting around. When we get an order from the store, we make it fresh, and that's why it takes two to three weeks to get to them. They have to order in advance, and we guarantee to deliver it to every store within four days of its manufacture. That's how fresh it is. Now, it does have a 12-month shelf life, but currently, we're shipping every customer every week, which means they're selling out every single week. Gentle Giants is 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 a food that their dog make their dog's coats look better, makes the dogs more alert, makes the dogs happier. And and our dogs personally are so healthy that the only time they go to the veterinarians is every three years for a rabies update. Wow. That sounds really good. Have you thought about, you know, making these this stuff for people <laughs> yeah i want to live to i want to live to 200 years friend adam yes i mean people say that to me all the time and and actually what 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 it is is that we're taking human food it's this is the same food that we eat it's just cooked together properly balanced low fat hard healthy no greasy coating on the outside have you ever felt dog food and felt that greasy coating on the outside yeah yeah yeah. it's like it's like oily chalk yeah well the reason it's there is because many dog food manufacturers know something the average person doesn't know which is the more fat content they put in dog food the hungrier it makes dogs it's all about money And because dogs have an amazing ability to smell and because dogs don't like the smell of heavy fat content, they don't like the taste of that. The way manufacturers get them to eat their fat saturated food is that after they make it, they spray it with lard. Lard is the white stuff you see on a steak the next day you would never eat. And just like you would never take bacon grease and pour it down your garbage disposal because you know it would clog it, why would anyone feed their dog a food that every single kibble is encapsulated in grease? That is killing dogs. Dogs can live into their late 20s, but the reason they don't is my opinion because the food is prematurely 
killing them. So it's not like we're doing anything magical. It's just that we're not prematurely killing dogs. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm sold. What are, what, which store are we closest? I think it's Gelson's is probably closest. Yeah. Oh, we're, so we're out of you know, think of it this way. Can you imagine if there was a restaurant that you could that you could eat at that if you ate at this restaurant you could live two hundred years? Do you know how busy they would be? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They could be there for the Batman uh, centennial. So anyway, this is our charity. We love dogs. My wife and I. We, we love our dogs. We, we're so thrilled that we have them living so incredibly long and so incredibly healthy. And we want everybody, I mean, everybody to have a chance for the dog they love to live a long time. I, I want to add one more thing. In the case of us, our daughter, we have a daughter now who is uh, going on 26 years of age. At a year and a half, we got her an American Eskimo that was six months old. Okay, for more than 20 years our daughter has had her best friend with her. Just think about what a great gift for a child to be able to grow up and have their best friend with them. And conversely, think about the situation that normally happens where you people get a dog for their child and the dog only lives eight or nine years. So now they're trying to explain death to an 11-year-old child that shouldn't be having to hear something like that. You see, oh, yeah. when you do the right thing, you get the best results. And it's this love of animals and really our love of mankind because it, it, the ones who love the dogs are the people, <laughs> okay? And all you have to do is anybody that's got a dog, just ask them one question. How long would you like your dog to live? And when I ask him how long would you like your dog to live, everybody miraculously says the same answer. Forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have been speaking to Bert Ward, uh, the boy wonder. Uh, the dog, the dog's wonder. And, the canine's yes. crusader. Uh, and uh, if you want more information, please visit gentlegiantsrescue.com. Uh, the dog food is called, it's called Gentle Giants, isn't it? That's right. Gentle Giants. And on the back, just to give you an idea how dedicated my wife and I are. On the back of every one of our bags of dog food is our personal phone number because we get calls from all over the United States from people who want to know this or that or proper care or even questions beyond that such as behavior and other medical questions who, you know, what kind of vet we would refer them to if they have a special situation. And we help people for free. This is our charity. And it's great that you're so passionate about it because it that passion drives so much light and good. I, mean, I think so, is, and I'll tell you is, something. I do have to admit I have gone to the dogs, literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but in the best possible way. I think so. Okay, Nemo, Wonder Dog, you're getting some new food soon. Yeah, we have a our, our dog is a, a is, is a rescue as well. And, oh, that's uh, great! And by the way, just one food. more thing: a, a part of the care. How I told you, we care for dogs differently. Quickly, let me just tell you what we do. Number one, we when we feed our dog, and, and when we feed dogs, the feeding is actually the most critical part of caring for a dog. That's when the dogs are most vulnerable. Okay, so when you feed your dog, 
always elevate the food and water bowls. Don't ever put them on the ground. You elevate them. And the correct height for every dog is such that when they come over to eat or drink, they simply tilt their head down, but never lean down or lean up. Just tilt their head down. And if you've got a puppy and that puppy is growing, you're going to be constantly raising your feed and water bowl in, in order to stay at the proper height. That's number one. Number two, no exercise, including no walking on a leash for at least one hour before and after eating. Number three, no riding in a car or other motion for at least one hour before and after eating. And number four, this is the one that the eyebrows go up. We feed our dogs a minimum of five or more times a day. Now, when I tell people that, there are some people that nearly have a heart attack and say, why would you do that? And I said, it's all based on science. I tell people, if you were to go visit your doctor for an annual exam, ask your doctor the following question. Doctor, am I better off eating one or two big meals a day or four or five smaller meals a day? Everybody knows the answer, the four or five smaller meals, but they don't make the translation to a dog. A dog is inferior in design to a human being. That's why we live so much longer. So it's actually much more important for a dog to eat five or more times a day than it is for a person. So combining these things together and one last piece of advice, let me tell you something. If a dog doesn't die of cancer because you want to spay or neuter your dog at five to six months of age or as soon as you get the dog if they're older than that, and if they that, that's the number one killer, cancer. Number two killer is accidents. Don't let your dog run loose. A rabbit or something could – squirrel could jump out in front of them. They run off and get hit by a car. And number three, all of the things I told you about feeding is to avoid a deadly condition called bloat and torsion that kills 10% of the dogs in the United States every year. If, if, if those three things don't take your dog's life, what happens is dogs' bodies basically wear out. They, at, they Usually at about eight or nine years of age, they start to have a problem getting up. They start to have a problem walking. So here's what we tell everybody. If you want your dog to live the longest possible life then not only feed them gentle giants, which is the only food that can keep them alive that long, but think of it this way. Every little stress that you can remove today from your dog's life, you can take that and add on to the length of their life. And that's how we do it. That's our secret and what we do here at Gentle Giants. Well, thank you very much for joining us on this week's episode of The Event Horizon. Ben uh, Burt Ward, thank you. And thank uh, you for, for everything. Thank you for everything. It's been oh, marvelous. Thank you, citizens, to the Batmobile! You have been listening to episode 150 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for September 17th, 2016. Your hosts have been Susan Fox and Gene Turnbow, and our guest this evening has been the boy wonder himself, Burt Ward. This episode will air again on Sunday, September 18th, 2016 at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, and two more times on the following Tuesday and Saturday mornings at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our own website at kryptonradio.com as podcasts. If you are a writer, 
actor, artist, or other creator, and you would like to appear as a guest on the Event Horizon, please contact our production manager, Kat Carter, at catcarter at kryptonradio.com. Krypton Radio is substantially listener-supported, and if you enjoy hearing the Event Horizon each week, please consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash kryptonradio. We are thrilled that this is our 150th episode, and your contributions make this show possible. Just five green pieces of paper a month. That's all we ask. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by sci-fi illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by science fiction grandmaster Larry Niven. This program, except for the 1966 Batman theme song by Neil Hefty, is copyright 2016 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. 